Welcome! Glad you could make it here. Hello, I'm Dan, your friendly fishmonger at dancefish.com. We do this every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Mountain Time. That's 9 Eastern for those that are mountain challenged. Glad to have you on board. I think we're going to have a fun one today. Going to do the shipping report, give you an update on the latest with the Lacey Act and what's going on with that. Um, we have a uh, Pretty exciting update that Random Arms has released on the um, dancefish.com website that I'll tell you about. Little update there. And um, I believe after that, we'll do the giveaway and then get into chat and answer any questions or respond to any comments that are directed at us. So, um, yeah, I'm excited. It's Wednesday. <laughs> um, Oh, am I in zone? Hang on, I can fix this. Do I have to go to uh, manual to get out of that? Okay, this sec, folks. C2. I'm in center. So go to zone. Zone. All right, folks. There you go. Well, that's how you know it's live. <laughs> okay. That should be better. Hopefully that's less bouncy. Thanks for letting us know, folks. And um, hopefully everyone can hear me and see me okay. I imagine if they couldn't, that would have been the first thing they said. All right, so we think we fixed the thing we had a couple weeks ago uh, where the camera just shut off. It was overheating, um, which is strange because I've been using this camera for a long time. It hasn't been doing that. So I don't know, maybe the battery's getting a little old or something, but we adjusted some settings, so that shouldn't be happening anymore. And now, hopefully we aren't bouncing in and out of frame anymore. Let me know if we are. Okay, let's continue. So the shipping report, I am thrilled to announce that we have a squeaky clean shipping report. The only thing we're still dealing with is if you remember a few weeks ago, maybe two weeks ago, um, there was a shipment of Corridor's Elegans that we sent to a customer. They bought 15 or 16 of them. A couple arrived either DOA or passed away shortly after, but not in good shape. And then um, some of the others would develop red kind of on the side, but coming from inside it, it looked like. And um, then they would shortly pass away. So unfortunately, we've, we've been in communication with that customer um, the whole time and it still hasn't settled. Uh, whatever, I thought at first, well, after after researching and talking on that stream and everything, um, the conclusion we came to is most likely um, it was, you know, a, a self-poisoning event. Corridors do have poison and they can leach it out in the bag. And when they do, sometimes they can get that red kind of side thing. So that's what I thought. The Some kind of toxin in the bag. Um, however, if that was the case, I don't think it would have gone on, you know, two weeks like it is. It's still going on. So that's the one difficulty that we've had. That's kind of the gift that keeps giving. We don't know what's happening. We don't have a solution. And a couple of days ago, I lost a couple of the corridor elegance here that we had in, in our aquarium here. So what that makes me think, so we've had these for... I want to say around three months, at least two months, maybe three months. They've been rock solid fish. We haven't had any problems. We shipped a, we shipped several orders out too, and no one's had any problems. Then 
two, three weeks ago, we shipped out this order of 1516, some problems. But still in our tank, there were no problems until um, a couple days ago. So it could be that they had something that was incubating that we're just now seeing, but that the stress of shipping when we sent them a, a few weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, um, brought out in those 15 to 16 fish. So since then, our, our shipping report's been good. The Severum that poked holes in its bag um, is doing great. Um, so full recovery there. I mean, it still had water, but it was a more stressful trip than it should have been. And we've since acquired eight mil bags. So anything that um, is of a size where it could poke through two four mil bags will now be using two eight mil bags on. So that'll be 16 mils of plastic. And these things, the eight mil bags are so thick, they almost feel like those um, like disposable Tupperware containers. Like it's like a hard plastic container. It's almost like that. They're, they're really tough. So I think we solved that problem. Um, but we're still trying to figure out that Corridor's elegance problem. We still don't know what it is. So just kind of wanted to update folks on that because a, a few weeks ago when we first um, talked about it in the shipping report, we, it, things were inconclusive. Well, they're still inconclusive, but the problem persists. So that's a bad one. We've removed them for sale, of course, and we're trying to figure it out. But um, this is one of those cases where I don't know if we will figure it out. We're, we're going to keep trying, though. But um but yeah, since then, I mean, since I talked to you last, though, the shipping report is squeaky clean. As far as we know, if you had a problem and haven't let us know, um, then, you know, let me know. You can email us at hello at dancefish.com, H-E-L-L-O at dancefish.com. Or you can mention it in the chat here. We're transparent about this stuff. You aren't going to hurt our feelings. If you have a problem, we can talk about it and try to help you out. Um, so that's the shipping report. Um, last two weeks, I believe, uh, pretty darn good. In this last week, 100%. So happy about that. Um, let's see where to go next. We were going to talk about the update. Let's do that. Oh, Lacey Act. Let's talk about the Lacey Act. So a very good website. There's PJAC and, and all kinds of them. But I found that the one that does the best it keeping us up to date in a, hang on, this camera's wanting to swivel on me, in a format that's easy to, to use is US ARC. So if you look here, where we're at on the Lacey Act, and I'll post the link, there you go, posted, is the committee to reconcile the two bills, the one from the House, which does have the Lacey Act amendments in it, and the one from the Senate that does not have the Lacey Act amendments in it, um, or additions, whatever you want to call them, it, the committee that's going to decide the final bill has been formed. So the call to action now is to go here. This update from 4-7. This is a list of the senators and the representatives that will be getting together to reconcile the bill from the House and the bill from the Senate. Um, and so if any of your representatives are on this list, please do reach out to them. Um, if you've already reached out to them, please remind them um, 
you know, I'm a avid pet keeper or fish keeper or whatever, and please remove the Lacey Act from the final bill. If, if you haven't reached out yet, and one of your representatives um, from the House or the Senate is on this list, now's the time, because they're getting together to hash this out and get the final version. So I will post this link as well. And this is kind of our last chance, guys. Um, we don't know if the version from the Senate that doesn't have the Lacey Act amendments in it will prevail or if the original one from the House will prevail. What's going to eventually come out of this committee is a brand new act um, that has bits and pieces and new stuff, <laughs> you know. Um, so they'll all get together and hash it out. So now's the time. Um, this is when they're this is this is it. This is when they're going to come up with something final. So please do take a moment to write your senator or representative from the House um, if they're on that list at U.S. ARC. Heck, even if they aren't, couldn't hurt, right? Anyway, that's where that is. Uh, we should know soon. I'm, uh, I don't want to say I'm pins and needles, but I am curious what's going to happen. And I'm really hoping that the Lacey Act additions do not make it to the final uh, version. Uh, that would just affect pet keepers everywhere. Fish or, or reptiles or bunnies or, I don't know, all, all kinds of pets, birds, everything. So, um, yeah, I'm really hopeful. But, you know, a little bit of pins and needles until we know what's going on for sure. So that's where that's at. Final stretch and kind of the most important time to dig in and weigh in with your representatives is right now. So please do that. Please take a moment. Um, imagine your life without fish or if you're into reptiles, reptiles, or if you're into birds, birds, or if you're into small mammals, small mammals, you know, that, that kind of stuff. Anything but common farm animals and dogs and cats. Imagine your life with without that or with a very uh, limited amount of that or a very complex and hard to navigate system to get a pet um, and what that would what, what the impact would be on your life and I think it merits five minutes to create a quick email or make a phone call or or draft a, a letter and send it to your your representative so that's the call to action let's all please do that I'll be doing that I hope you will too okay with that an update to the website Let's see. So if we go to dancefish.com, uh, Random Arms has been working hard on getting gift certificates better. So right now, if you, well, until yesterday, if you got a gift certificate, um, you'd, I would email you a, a form I made up um, that was the certificate and it would have the gift certificate number on it. And in order to utilize that, You'd have to email me and say, hey, I have this gift certificate. I, I would like to get this, this, and this. I would create an order, deduct the amount of the gift certificate from it, and then email that back to you. So it wasn't user-friendly. And we wanted to make a system that was really user-friendly. So we have. So let's say, for example, that I want to buy um, Emperor Tetras. That's apropos, since that's on the docket for today. No, I, I would never buy just three. I'd get at least 12. They do well in schools. Okay, so let's say I want to buy some of this stuff. 
just to make it easy, we'll keep it at Emperor Tetris since that's our giveaway fish for the day. I want to go to checkout. And right here, it makes it super easy. If you have a gift card, it shows up right here. And you can say, let's say you had multiple gift cards. I don't. I just have one $1 gift card because, you know, we're testing it. So we're just using small amounts. So I want to use that gift card and I'm going to hit use selected gift cards. And what that will do down here is it will say, okay, your total order is 106, but we deducted the amount of your gift card and we're only going to charge you 105 bucks. And then you can go and make your purchase, right? And, and get out. So that's how easy it is now to use a gift card. Um, you just select the card you want to use, click the yellow, I want to use that one button, and it should apply it automatically down here. All right, so that's the update. Um, should make it a lot, lot, lot easier to use your gift cards. And yeah, I flashed my address there, but I don't really care. Everyone knows my address anyway. Um, all right. As Bob would say, send money and candy. Um, so here, with that, the next thing is, I guess I should do a warehouse update. So here's where we're at. We're very, very close um, with the warehouse. We've been testing it. I took some um, horned gara over because they're such a hardy fish. That's what I wanted to use. And I took a few of them over, put them in an aquarium. And um, so we've had a few fish in this tank since I, I believe Monday was the day I put them in. Uh, Might have been Sunday. And what we found is there's too many micro bubbles. So the micro bubbles are irritating the fish. So we have to do something about that. So we've designed a micro bubble remover, basically a you know air or gas remover for the system. And um, we're going to be installing that shortly. So unfortunately, I can't put more fish in there until that, that issue is solved um, because it'll, it'll be a problem. Uh, horn gar are about rock solid. If, if you can, if they're being bothered by it, then anything else will be a lot more bothered by it. So, um, so yeah, we, we had to put a pause on that. In fact, the horn gar are so tough that they were in there for a couple days and I was like, Oh man, these guys are fine. Everything's good. Cause they weren't showing any signs. I put some severums in there and I immediately saw micro bubbles on the severums. So severums have been removed. Um, the Gara are still there and I'm watching them really closely. Um, I've turned off the water flow to them because I was seeing some things that were a little concerning and I'll be removing them in a bit, I think. But I wanted to see if I turn off the water flow in those micro bubbles left, if, if the source of irritation left as well. I'm pretty sure that's what it is. On the Severums, I know that's what it is because their fins got covered with it right away. So that's where we're at. Um, the water's coming in at the right temperature. We have really high flow. Um, all that is working. Um, the system's being tested and balanced and it's getting more efficient by the day. Um, the, it, we have a computer system that shows us the pumps when they're on, when they're not, what the temperatures are in all the different parts of the system, what the pressures are, all that stuff. And um, as it's being tweaked, it's starting instead of being like, 
temperature high, temperature low, temperature high, temperature low, starting to be like temperature pretty steady and pressure pretty steady, all those things. Um, so instead of the boilers firing 100%, getting too hot and dropping to 0%, turning off, right? And then, oh, now we're too cold, 100%, and now we're off, right? Now it's like a pretty steady um, burn of the boilers to keep our, our temperatures. So it's all getting dialed in and becoming very efficient, which is awesome. But the micro bubbles have to be taken care of. So now we've run a couple flow tests. One thing we did is these gar I've been feeding like 10 times as much as I would normally feed fish just to see if I could generate ammonia in the tank. I could not. I never noticed ammonia in the tank despite feeding tons. Um, I put ammonia in a different aquarium that does not have fish in it. There's only one aquarium in the warehouse that we put fish in just as a test. Um, in a different aquarium, we put a ton of ammonia in. It was like off the charts when you tested it. You, it, you didn't know what it was. It was so high. And within a few hours, that was all gone. It would no longer test ammonia. And in another tank, we put in a bunch of methylene blue. And it, that quickly became clear as well. So um, we're getting quite a bit of flow in every tank. It takes about, we depending on the tank you test, 45 to 48 minutes right now for a 40 gallon aquarium to get 100% water change or, or to fill up from nothing, I should say. So the flow's pretty good and we're only running the system at around half its capacity. So we could get a lot more flow if we needed to. So we're, we're doing some tests and things to find out, you know, what what's the minimum flow point to prevent any kinds of ammonia issues and I'm not saying we'll always run it at the minimum flow point, but we want to know what that is. That'd be a good number to, to know. Um, so we can find that point and then, you know, make decisions based on that. So, so the warehouse is coming along really well, but that micro bubble removing system does need to get put in place before we continue with more fish. So there's a little, little snag there, but, oh, the other one is hard water. So the water coming out of the creek is, as I mentioned several times, is a lot harder than our culinary water, which is great for a lot of fish, right? The, the guppies are going to love it. Rifts, lake cichlids will love it. Um, you know, lots of the different live bears and gadaids and things like that will, will really like the hard water. And it'll actually be easier for fish that are freshly imported to adjust to hard water than to soft water because it helps with their osmoregulation. But the downside is um, the, the water's hard enough that we're going to start getting some lime scale. So we found a solution to that too. So there's a, a water softening unit that we'll be using that does not take salt or anything like that. We aren't going to be, you know, making tons of salt water to compensate to change out for the calcium carbonate or anything like that. It's a very eco-friendly, um, clean system. And I had lots of conversations today with the University of Wyoming. Um, their trout hatchery uses it. They used to have all kinds of problems with their heat exchangers and stuff, just getting absolutely full of scale or lime or calcium carbonate, whatever. Basically, you're making coral, <laughs> coral skeletons, right? Um, and um, they used to have to every few months take their thing apart, get a chisel and a bunch of acid and clean their heat exchanger, their economizer. Um, since they put this in two and a half to three years ago, they haven't had to do that once. And when they do pull it apart, it's squeaky clean. 
So they had a big hard water problem. They put in uh, this kind of eco-friendly water softener and haven't had a problem. And the university liked the results so much that now they have over 10 of them on their main campus um, in their sports complex. Their swimming pool uses it um, and a bunch of other uh, areas around the campus where they had trouble with hard water. They use it and it's really nice. Um, you don't use salt and you don't have to replenish resin or anything like that. So I'm pretty excited about that. So those are the two issues. Uh, scaling, because over time that'll be a problem that'll, you know, limit our efficiency of the efficiency of our equipment and just be unsightly and we'll have to scrub the front of the tanks and, and all that, get the bathroom ring around the top of the, the water line, all that stuff. So that's not going to be an issue. And then the micro bubbles, uh, those are the two things we've kind of run into that we're having to find fixes for. So it's coming along though. I can't wait. I have to tell you, it was pretty awesome. We got a massive snowstorm. We're in the middle of a winter storm right now. Um, started yesterday and we're under a winter advisory or winter storm warning until tomorrow morning. Um, so lots of snow. Punchy Paints, are you getting this too? I wonder if Punchy Paints is getting hammered down in Laramie. Um, but up here in Sheridan, Wyoming, we're sure sure getting it. And uh, it was cool though, because the little riprap creek that we built by the warehouse, it was beautiful. You had the snow and then you had the little creek still running all clear um, as the warehouse was, you know, up and running. So <laughs> that was, that was kind of cool. I sat out there and looked at it for a while and I was like, oh man, we created a beautiful thing. I can't wait till we get the grass out there. We're going to hydro seed the whole thing uh, with native grasses. So we're kind of going to reclimate the whole construction area, um, especially down by the creek on the uh, floodplain and all that. And uh, I can't wait though till there's grass there with this little riprap creek going back to the main channel. Um, I think we'll put a picnic table out there or something. It should be really nice. Anyway, that's the update from the warehouse. Things are going well. It's getting dialed in. It's getting more and more efficient. So our energy costs and energy usage are dropping every day as we make adjustments. Um, and it's not just us. We have, we have an engineer working on it. Um, he's very passionate about the project and we're glad to have him on board and, um, yeah, it's coming along, but we, we found that micro bubble problem is a real problem. We tested it with fish and it's annoying to them. So we got to fix that. Okay. With that, I think we can move on. Oh, by the way, I want to apologize to everyone um, who had their shipments held. We were able to ship all the fish out on Monday, but nothing since just because this is a massive storm and the temperature differential is super high. So most places we're shipping to right now are in the 70s to 80s. Some are as high as like 86. And our temperature is, oh, let's see here, like 20 some odd degrees below freezing right now. So we're looking at seven, eight degrees some nights. And so what that means is I have to be able to keep the fish warm here. Then they'll fly to Billings. I have to keep them warm when they're in Billings, but then they'll get to Louisville. You know, if there's no delays, they'll get to, to Louisville. In Louisville, it's in the fifties to sixties or seventies, I think right now, low fifties, high upper sixties or seventies. And so, um, I don't have a heat pack that I can put in the box that would burn just a few hours until they got to Louisville and then taper off. They don't make a heat pack that's reliable that I know of uh, that I could use like that. So A, the storm's 
could affect travel and things could get delayed. But B, the differential's too high. This doesn't usually happen, but every now and then there's such a harsh temperature differential over the path of travel that the fish are going to go on to get to our customers that, um, I mean, we could have done it and honestly, everything would probably have been okay or mostly okay, but it just seemed like an unwarranted risk. Um, it made my spidey senses went off and it made my skin crawl a bit. I, I was there trying to calculate the correct heat pack combos for each order and I kept crossing them out and trying a new one, crossing it out, trying a new one. And I, I just couldn't settle on one that I thought would be safe for the fish. So if you're in that boat, I, I apologize, but we'll get them out to you next week. Uh, this is a freak thing. These kinds of late winter, early spring storms, we get one or maybe two a year. Um, and this time it's really cold. So, and the wind is whipping. Yeah. All right. With that, let's get to your questions and comments. Uh, I want to thank my mods, first of all, before I get into that, for being here and doing what they do. Thank you so much. Appreciate you guys. As you know, they're kind of the, I, I don't know, what would you say the mods are to the stream? Like the, the heartbeat of the stream or something? The stream would be just a mess without them. So thanks so much. Um, oh, I missed a super chat. Alexander, hello. Thank you. I can see the comment. Look at that. Let's see here. Look at that. All right. I can actually read the comment this time, Alexander. <laughs> For more Kanban board sticky notepads. <laughs> yeah, you can see them in the reflection of the Green Spot Algae Aquarium, huh? <laughs> so that's what this is. This is the Green Spot Algae Aquarium. We're doing our best to grow the world's best display of freshwater Green Spot Algae. And I think we're succeeding. <laughs> I think we're getting there. <laughs> Uh, yeah, just the focus has been the fish we have, the customers we have, and getting that warehouse done. That's been the focus. All right. Scrolling for questions and comments. Johnny at Dan's Fish. Horn gars are hardy, and you love them so, so much. <laughs> Erie 77. How do micro bubbles bother the fish? Well, they kind of create the bends. So, I mean, that's my guess. I'm not... I, I should say, let me put a big caveat on this that I haven't seen any like real research about this. But what seems to happen, it didn't happen noticeably on the Gara, but it noticed it happened noticeably on the Severums. And the Gara, um, for the first several days, were acting fine and eating fine and all that. That's why I tried the Severums, because I was like, oh, the Gara are doing fine, I'll add some Severums. Um, immediately the severums were like, no, <laughs> so I took them out and observing the gar really closely. I can tell they're irritated now. Um, they've, they've been like, we don't want to eat anymore. Um, I, I'm not seeing any micro bubbles on them though, but the gara come from like, if you think the base of a waterfall, right? They're used to, um, really kind of more extreme conditions, but I think what it does is almost creates the bends in fish. Um, there's a lot of gases dissolved in cold water. When water's cold, it can hold a lot of gas dissolved. When water is heated up, it cannot hold much gas at all. So what happens is we're taking cold water from our creek. 
we're filtering it, sterilizing it, and then we're heating it up to the temperatures our fish need. And when we heat it up, it can't hold the gas that's dissolved in it. A lot of that gas has to escape. So it does in the form of these tiny micro bubbles. And what I'm seeing is I don't know if the fish, if it just clings to their fins and body and kind of coats them and irritates them. I don't know if it's that or if they're breathing them and then the gas is kind of uh, extruded out of their fins and in their body in the form of little bubbles. So I don't know if the bubbles are forming from within the fish because they're breathing um, a lot of these gases or if these little micro bubbles are clinging to the outside of the fish. I'm not sure which one. Um, and I'm not sure if it's actually like the bends or not, but that's how I did that. That's just what I call it. The fish bends. That's all I really know. Iris 77. I, I know it does irritate them. I don't know the mechanism by which it does. So to be perfectly honest, I've heard that it's actually like the bends, but, um, but I don't know for sure. All right. Kelly Foreman. There's random arms. <laughs> how about the giveaway fish and hashtag? Oh, thank you. Thank you, Random Arms. I forgot to do the giveaway. But first, Kelly Foreman. Let's celebrate that new gift card thing with a $100 gift card giveaway tonight on me. Kelly, we will do that. Thank you. This just got more exciting. So we will do a giveaway of a group of um, Emperor Tetras. And we'll also do a $100 gift card giveaway on Kelly. Thank you, Kelly, um, as well. So let's start... Since everyone coming in after might not know, let, let's start with the current giveaway of Empire Gudgeons. There's a, there's a little story here. Um, what I ordered was was Rainbow Tet or Empire Gudgeon. Sorry, Empire Tetris, Emperor Tetris, not Empire Emperor Tetris. There, I'll get it straight. Palmari, that's the species name. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, I've had not enough to drink, officer. Okay, I'm fine now. <laughs> Emperor Tetris is what we're giving away. So I ordered Rainbow Tetris, and that's what I thought they were. And then today I went to post them, and with the macro lens, we got some really great shots. Actually, let me show you these. Let's see here. Tetras. Okay. So these are actual shots of this fish, which were taken. Random arms. Was this three days ago? Yeah. Not long ago. Look how good these look, though. Now, there are varying sizes. Some are like around half an inch. Some are around an inch. So this was probably one of the bigger ones that's already colored up. But, man, they're good-looking fish. But looking at this, I noticed, wait a minute, that black line is awfully uniform. And this silvery is, you know, pretty uniform. And the other thing is we did not see any red eyes. So it became clear to me that these are actually um, the Emperor Tetra, Nematobrycon palmari, instead of the Lacordii which is the rainbow tetra, which looks like this. Really pretty fish. Oh, you know what? 
I'm going to have to get the genus name in there or it's not going to know what to do. Here's the Cordii. Um, looks very similar, but that black band is somewhat broken up with this iridescence, right? And the males have red eyes and the females have blue eyes. Whereas in the um, Empire Tetras, Empire Emperor Tetras, geez, I'll get it one of these days, they all have blue eyes, males and females. So based on that, these are, I'm pretty darn sure, the Emperor Tetras, not the Rainbow Tetras that we thought they were. So that's the story behind those. Still pretty, same genus. There's only two species in that entire genus. Um, the Emperor Tetra and the Rainbow Tetra. So we had to make a minor adjustment on that fish, but they're both awesome fish. Oh, I'm showing you the wrong screen. There we go. Hey, we got another one. Fish Tank Barn. I can give you a run for your money on the green spot algae, but I have you beat on hair algae. Yeah, you have me beat on hair algae, maybe hair as well. All kinds. You got me beat on the hair in general. Okay, so the giveaways for these Emperor Tetras. Um, if you would like to win a group of them, we'll probably send you six. Then hashtag emperor. <laughs> we'll do it. Just enter hashtag emperor in the chat and you'll automatically be uh, entered to win. Now, as far as their care and things, I don't have much to say. Oh, geez, I keep doing this wrong. There we go. As far as their care and such, I don't have much to say because they're so hardy and easy. They're a super easy, super hardy, um, beautiful fish. I, If you can keep your normal bread and butter fish alive, you can keep these guys alive. They're fine with a wide range of temperatures. Um, well, okay, not extreme, but somewhere in the 70s, just like you would expect uh, fish, like, you know, 73 to 80, let's say. They'll be just fine. Might be able to take it a little warmer, even if there's good oxygen saturation. Um, pH and hardness and stuff, they can take a wide range of all that as well. They eat anything. They're peaceful. They're beautiful. They don't get too big. Maybe an inch and a half, a little, little less than an inch and a half, I would say, somewhere around there. Um, unless the male gets a really long trident or something on the tail. But, you know, for all intents and purposes, not a big fish. Um, or was that the rainbow? Hang on. Now I've got to check. Okay, let's take a quick field trip to seriously fish. Uh, Emperor Tetra. Let's see, seriously fish, are you gonna, there we go. Palmeri, Palmeri. Let's see the size, 42 millimeters. So that's 4.2 centimeters. Okay, just over an inch and a half. Yeah, so in that range. Um, and that's really about it. They're, they're super easy. So awesome fish, like it's the, it's what you want. Not too big, peaceful, very colorful, and very hardy. What's not to like? <laughs> All right. There we go. Leo 209 Aquatic Pseudomugil Gertrude, good in soft water, 6.5 pH, and would it be a safe tank mate for a betta? Um, Gertrude come from a wide range of water parameters. There are populations that come from very soft, kind of acidic black water, um, and then others that don't. So I would say you'd probably be okay with that, but, but better, 
Um, yes and no. I would I would have a plan B. Some bettas are, you know, great little fish that don't bother anything, and others are like, I'm aggressive. They each have their own personalities. So can't say for sure on your betta. I have kept bettas with pseudomugils before, for sure. But not every betta does okay with them. So can't give you a black and white answer on that. Punchy pains. Okay. Down in Laramie, snow tonight for a few days, very cold and windy here. Yeah, super windy here as well, and real cold. Kevin V, sorry? Yeah, Kevin, you can have the snow. I'm in Minnesota, and I don't want any more snow. Well, I've got it all. I'm I'm taking it from you. <laughs> and Kurt saying, the warehouse setup is awesome. Thank you for showing us the journey. Hey, happy to do it. I wish I could have done more, um, but I can either, like, spend time making a video or I can actually get something done on the warehouse. So usually I get something done, but there's been monthly updates more or less. Um, and there's been more frequent updates on Instagram. Dan's.fish, I believe is our Instagram handle. I guess I should know that. <laughs> All right. Scrolling up cause chat jumped here. Let me get to, here we are. Luigi is better. I guess it depends on the game. A couple days ago, I saw some interesting looking hillstream loaches. They look like a cross between Borneos and hillstream. Turns out they're called Pseudogastromyzon. Yeah, Chennai, Pseudogastromyzon Chennai is one of my favorites. Let's get some uh, red in the fins. This guy, check this out. I've had these before and I loved them. See this nice kind of, you got a neat body pattern and all that, but look at that, that neat little red, red on the fin. I really like this one. Now I like all Hillstream loaches. That one kind of shows it too a little bit. Um, I like all Hillstream loaches, um, period. I've never met one I don't like, but those Chennai, I, I used to keep those on, on my patio when I was a graduate student at UC Santa Barbara. And um, they didn't mind getting a little cold. They, they didn't mind at all. They could take a good range of temperatures and they were just so fun to watch scooting around on the rocks and stuff. Kevin V, do you ever get German black ram dwarf cichlids? I don't carry any of the, um, of that species, the German blue rams or gold rams or black rams. The only ram that I carry is the Bolivian ram, which is a different species. And the reason is the Bolivian ram does not need the really high temperatures that the uh, German black dwarf ram and associated variations of that species needs. So those German rams, um, Ramirez I, they like it up in the 80s. Uh, 84, they're, they're getting kind of happy. 86, they're thrilled, right? discus temperatures but the bolivian rams don't need it there they're, they're fine in the 70s and i have a flow through system here and i don't keep my temperature high enough for the german rams so that's why i do not keep any of them let's see here get gills is asking me chilothrina blair i keep their sleek shape or end up with an odd adult shape some get big ones they they get big uh, they get the small, 
the little head with the big body. Um, let's see here. Can we show you a uh, picture of a real big one? My friend John Neiman's used to have um, some massive boys. I mean, yeah, you can you can see it here. So you can kind of see it here, right? You've got this uh, little rainbow head, and then it goes up into that that strange rainbow body that some people just can't deal with. <laughs> I don't mind it, but yes, with age they definitely uh, get that uh, dorsally, and uh, you know the top and bottom get stretched for sure. Maybe not as much as some species. Here's another. Here's another one. See that? It just it doesn't stay slim. It gets big. So, and the ones at John's were monsters, like little head, big old body. So, yeah, they definitely get the the typical rainbow shape. Mitchell Broom for Cory problem. It sounds like the poorly named red blotch disease. Yes, a hemorrhage, a hemorrhage similar to septicemia, but a symptom. Usually it's from a bacterial infection, but can be other things. Yeah, so it could be bacterial. Um, Ian Fuller says it could be nitrogen poisoning, like if high ammonia or high nitrite. Um, it could be, um, I've read that when they release their venom, that poisons them and they can get that. So um, yeah, red blotch disease, it, that's definitely what it looked like. But again, since that's a symptom and not an actual disease, it leaves the question up in the air as to what it's been caused from. The initial hypothesis, so fish doing great long-term, right? No signs of anything. So we shipped them and suddenly the fish that were shipped had that, a few of them. Um, and so we thought, okay, we know there's, the, the shipping water is really clean. So we ruled out uh, ammonia and nitrite um, they're seeking safe in the shipping water and they voided their bowels. There, there was no report that the water came in foul, right? So we ruled out nitrite and ammonia, which leaves other things that we can't tell. Bacterial infection? Well, if they had a raging bacterial infection, we, we would have thought we would have seen that in our aquariums. Um, now we are having losses in our aquariums, but we are not seeing the red blotches in the fish that we lost. So maybe it's a completely unrelated thing. I, I don't know. So that left, to me, the most plausible option seemed, well, they were being shipped. You know, as we know, fish getting shipped can get startled, and quarries, when they get startled enough, can release their, their venom or their toxin. I'm not sure if it's a poison, a venom, or I'll just call it a toxin because that covers everything, right? Um, but that seemed the most likely scenario to me since it kind of manifests during shipping. But then, since we lost a few of ours a little while ago, maybe it is something else. But again, ours didn't show red blotches. So I don't know, uh, Mitchell, it's, it's a puzzle for sure. I can't wait till the day when I can hire like, you know, a veterinarian to work with us full time here on campus. <laughs> yeah, that'll be awesome. I do have a veterinarian on retainer and they, they help as much as they can but there's definitely limits to what they can do. I mean, they can't observe the fish in the tank, for instance, which, you know, that's a big one right there. Some dude, what happened to the rainbow tetras, nematobricon lacordii that were on your website? Found out that they were emperor tetras. Yep, got a close-up picture, was like, hmm, and realized 
that I had ordered rainbow tetras, but that I had been sent, not Lacordiae, but Palmeri. Mitchell Broom, if you were self-poisoning, they would likely have died in the bag, and a tank the water volume is going to be large, too large for them to self-poison. Correct. Yeah, I thought of that too, but then I thought, well, what if it wasn't a lethal dose, um, or enough to kill them immediately, and it was just like a smaller dose that took time. Like that was kind of where my mind went. But again, Mitchell, it's it's a it's a many faceted problem and unfortunately we don't have enough information to eliminate things and get down to what it actually is uh, right now the best we can do is like shotgun it and guess at, at this point debbie russell awesome warehouse congratulations everyone is loving it and happy for you the work is paying off yeah i can't wait till we fix the micro bubbles and uh and can put fish back in there again It'll be great. And thanks, Debbie. And by the way, Mitchell, I, I should say thank you for chiming in. Mitchell uh, Mitchell knows his stuff, and I appreciate whenever you try to help out, Mitchell. It's much appreciated. Your efforts are appreciated. Some dude, you're in top chat. Switch to all chat. I'm not actually some dude for some reason. So here's what I'm seeing. See this? I'm actually looking at live chat. But for some reason, what it shows you is this, that I'm in top chat when I'm not. So I don't know, <laughs> I don't know what to tell you, but what's actually running through the system is live chat. I think, as far as I can tell. Orange Cones, hey, can we alter the gift certificate amount higher with the website changes? Yeah, yeah, here's a $10 gift certificate. Orange Cones is like, look, I got a hundred bucks. <laughs> no, but you can. When you purchase a gift certificate for someone now, you can make it anywhere from $1 to $5,000, I believe. Let's do that. <laughs> Let's sell $105,000 gift certificates. We're gonna do a fun drive in the next hour. <laughs> so um, before I, I was like, well, I can't be making thousands of different kinds of gift certificates. So there was a, only a few denominations, right? Only a few values set. But now you can uh, customize it as you wish. So if someone's turning 54 years old, you can get them a $54 gift certificate or something like that, something fun. Kayla's Aquatics and Exotics, punching me in the face with a fox cat. Thank you so much, Bob. Hope you're doing well. Uh, good to see ya. Kelly Foreman, Gary Lang frequently cautions against the dangers of bubbles. I know he does. So I'm very familiar with micro bubbles um, in municipal water. But I wasn't sure how the creek water would react. We've seen the bubbles in the creek's water, but I wasn't sure if they were the same thing or not. Because municipal water is different. It's doctored with lots of different kinds of chemicals and things. So my hope was that whatever the micro bubbles from the creek water were might be harmless, which was probably a, you know, kind of a, well, I wouldn't say naive thing to think, but it was the hope. We, we knew it might be a problem, but it was the hope. Um, but we tested it and obviously it's a problem too. So, but Gary Lang's absolutely right. Um, frequently on the Rainbow Fish Facebook group that he's a part of, he'll be like, don't kill your fish with water changes, especially during the cold weather. Um, if you do very large water changes with 
water right out of the tap in the cold weather and you're heating the water as it goes into the tank or whatever, um, all those bubbles release and you can really do a doozy on your fish. For sure. I was hoping the creek water would behave differently than a municipal treated water. Um, it does not in that respect. I now know. <laughs> Chevy Fish. There are two additional Super Chats along with Alexander's. Oh, man. Oh, I got Fish Tank Barn and Kaler. Okay, cool. I was like, did I miss some? And Kelly, too. But it's so weird. It's like, this is the viewer activity that it shows me. It did not show me Alexander's here, and it did not show me Kelly Foreman's here. Um, I saw Alexander's pop up here, and I didn't see Kelly Foreman's, I don't think. Yeah, I did. I saw Kelly's pop up there, too. Sometimes I don't see him, though, until I actually see them within the chat because sometimes it doesn't really notify me i don't know i'm just here using the platform <laughs> but thanks chevy fish for bringing that to my attention if i had missed them i would have felt really bad okay freshwater ichthyology if it was gas bubble disease like the bends you would see inside the fish such as the eyes particularly but within other tissues so if it was the gas bubble disease like the bends Oh, you'd see it inside the fish's eyes. I, I saw it mostly on the fins. So maybe it's just globbing onto the fins. But either way, it was obviously making the severums very unhappy. So yeah, we're gonna we're gonna fix that. Hoon Aquatics, I find that in extreme cases, the microbubbles can cause symptoms similar to ammonia burn and can really affect the gills. I wonder if that's because now you don't have water against the fish right? You have atmosphere or gas, like air <laughs> against the fish's body. And it's not meant for that, right? A fish is meant to be in water. I wonder if that's like what it does. But yeah, I, I know what you're talking about. Um, I've, I've seen similar things in aquatics. And I guess you're breathing that water, you're breathing all those micro bubbles through the gills. So it makes sense that it would kind of irritate them. All right, chat jumped. Pardon me a moment where I, while I find my place. And there we are. I got you. Skipper's Aquariums. To ask a question, type at Dan's Fish so it highlights for him. Yes, indeed. If you do that, it'll turn bright orange for me, which will help me find it. Leo209 Aquatics. What's your favorite betta tank mate? I can't say as I have a favorite. Um, hang on one moment. Would you, well, Random Arms, when you hear this, would you mind letting uh, my son, reminding my son that we're live streaming because he's bouncing a ball upstairs. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> oh, wait, he just stopped. Maybe we're okay. <laughs> okay. Um, what's your favorite better tank mate? Nope, there it goes. <laughs> Thanks. I'm having trouble with that one. Now, I've kept bettas with many, 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 many different species of fish. Um, there was a time when almost every aquarium up in the annex had a betta in it with whatever was in it, rainbow fish or tetras or guppies or whatever. Um, so I can't pick a specific fish, but I can give you some principles. So basically, the fish needs to be fast enough 
that it will get away from the beta if the beta is slightly aggressive. And it needs to be peaceful enough that it won't attack the beta. Sometimes those long fins on the bettas, by the way, these were placot bettas. Um, I wasn't keeping long fin bettas in with these fish. I found with long fin bettas, you, um, tetras and things can nip on their fins quite a bit because they're delicious. It's like this lure going through the water, right? All these fins flowing around and some fish can't resist those. So fast enough to get away from the betta if it decides to be aggressive, not a fin nipper and not so fast to the food that it completely outcompetes the betta for food because bettas are not the fastest eaters. So those are kind of the criteria. Um, within that, there's lots of possibilities, but I, I wouldn't say there's like one that I love a ton. Um, Samuel Joseph Fernald. My pseudogastromines are on Meyer's eye are breeding like nuts. Awesome. After I acclimate, accumulate enough fry, I'll reach out to you. Good. Thank you. Looks super similar to the Chennai. They just have different facial markings. Yeah, cool. Awesome. I, I would love to buy a big group of hobbyist bred and raised uh, Hillstream loaches. That would be amazing. So for anyone that does breed fish, if you're looking to sell them, um, you can get the most if you sell them directly to others, right? But if you get a bunch and you're like, hey, what am I going to do with these? Um, I like to buy fish from hobbyist breeders. Um, I like to buy usually a minimum of like 50, maybe up to 200 or so, somewhere in that range. Now, with some species, I'll buy less, you know, de depends on the species. But in general, we try to buy in, in good quantities. And I pay 25% of the retail cost shipped. So um, if I get a box of fish from you and the total cost was $100 for the fish plus whatever the shipping was to get it to me, then, um, then I would sell those fish for total value of that box for $400. That's that's the what I have to do with all my expenses and the way we keep fish and treat fish and do it uh, to to stay in business. So, um, yeah, if you breed fish and you're interested, reach out to me. Hello at dancefish.com. That's H-E-L-L-O at dancefish.com. We always like buying fish from hobbyist breeders. That's the best. It's just the best. Um, there are some species we, we can't do like, sorry, Jack Denzies. <laughs> Sorry, Bob. <laughs> There's some species that we just can't move or get too big or too aggressive or whatever, but um, it's worth a chat. Raging waters. I would take any weather but rain. It just rained for almost two weeks straight in PA. Wow. Hence the name Raging Waters, I guess. <laughs> Aptly named. Lefty, do you know much about... Um, Probably not, because I don't even... Gracilis. Hemiotis? Is that how you say that? Just got some in trying to learn any quirks they might have. So there's several species called Gracilis. Let me see if I know this fish. Um, I don't know if I know that genus. Oh, no. This is one that I think is super cool. I've never seen it in person. I've never kept them. My understanding is that they're kind of difficult to ship, so they don't come in very often. But this is one that I really like. It reminds me a lot of like a really colorful kind of Brooks Silverside or something like that. Um, oh, I'm a little jelly you got those. That's awesome. 
I have, I wish I could uh, give you some advice, but I've only seen pictures of them, you know, and drooled a little bit. <laughs> I've never actually seen them in person or kept them. Oh, I hope they do well for you. I really do. I'm rooting for you. Oh, and man, if you bred them, that would be amazing. Oh, I'm so jelly. Good for you. Some dude. Why do a lot of domesticated fish, betasplendens, dickus, <laughs> dickus, discus, wow, and ram cichlids need to be kept at higher temperatures compared to their wild forms? It's a good question. Um, first of all, I'm not sh really sure what the native temperatures are for rams, like what their temperatures are in the wild. I do know that I, I've got some friends that have been to the Amazon, one of them many, 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 many times. And the discus that they're collecting in are not necessarily in super hot water. Um, but I, I don't know the details of the wild habitats for sure. So I'm not sure what the differential is between the wild habitat and what we keep them in, um, in our aquariums. I don't know. But I do know that Rams, betasplendens, and discus are generally bred on the farms and kept at very high temperatures. They're just kept really warm. And so, and they've been like that for generations. So despite what their natural habitat might be, and I, I, I geez, I've dug into discus natural habitats, but it's been years and I don't remember the details. Uh, anyone have Heiko Blair's book on discus? Um, what, are, what are the stated temperature points like what's the low and the high that they found in natural habitats for discus? But but you're right. They're, they're there with rainbow fish. I'm sorry, uh, angelfish and tetras and all kinds of stuff that you don't have to keep warm in the wild. Uh, they live with them naturally. So um, even if their temperatures in nature, though, are not high, after generations and generations of being bred and kept at, at high temperatures, on the farms, if you take fish that are like that and then keep them at cold temperatures, you're going to have a problem. It, it's just like taking someone from um, Florida and bringing them up and dropping them here in Wyoming today, right? They, they, it, would, it would be real cold for them versus for me, it's cold and windy, but it's not like shocking. So something like that, um, some dude. It's a good question, though. It's been so long since I've dug in. I've dug into the wild temperatures on all those, except maybe the Rams. I haven't looked into Bolivian Rams much. But yeah, it's a good question. Al, will you get any redfin dwarf rainbow fish in stock soon? Your thoughts on super yellow devil tetras and neodegu tetras, degua tetras. Small scale archer cloudy eye is clearing up. Good. H2O change worked. Okay, first of all, I'm glad to hear that the cloudy eye on your archer fish is clearing up. Yeah, clean water in time generally helps. It's, it's probably like they got, they scraped it on something, they jumped and smacked it on something. And so now, you know, just take some time to, to heal. So I'm glad to hear that. Redfin dwarf rainbow fish. So I'm, I'm having trouble, Al, knowing what that is. Can you give me a scientific name? Are we talking about the praycocks? Redfin dwarf rainbow. I mean, I didn't call a fish that on my website, did I? No, 
just have redfin ballast sharks. Looking up redfin at Dan's Fish. Nope. Okay. Um, yeah, with rainbow fish, it really helps to have the scientific name. Um, so if you tell them, then, then I'll know what you're talking about. I'm not sure what the redfin dwarf rainbow fish is. Um, super yellow devil tetras. Okay, let me see if I can find the scientific name on those. Um, I'm not sure. I know that fish, at least not by that common name. Oh, I've never kept that one. Wow, what a cool looking fish though. Okay, I've never kept this fish. Let me see if I can rip the scientific name here real quick. Just a moment, I'll share this with you guys. Oh, that's the red devil. Where's the yellow devil? Well, what are you? Wow, that's cool. I've never seen this. I don't know anything about this fish, except for that I would love that. Look at these. So is it red devil or yellow devil? I'm seeing red devil here, although it looks yellow. Super yellow devil. I don't know. I've, I've never kept that fish. Sorry, I can't be helpful with that one. And then Neo Degua Tetra. Neo Degua Tetra. Let's try that one. Don't, don't know if I know that one either. Oh, okay. Yeah. This one, I'm again not going to be able to help you with because I've never kept it. But um, I'm a little more familiar with it. It's like a silver tip tetra kind of. Um, but I, I haven't kept it. So I'm sorry. I'm striking out completely. While we're at it, let's try that red fin dwarf rainbow fish. Are we talking about praycocks? Oh, Makulakai. So yeah, I'll be bringing in more Makulakai if that's what you're talking about. For sure. I love this fish. I think it's absolutely stunning. Um, I'm just, I'm out right now. So kind of running low on the rainbows just because to bring in the rainbow fish, I have to do a, a full scale kind of specialized import. And um, I'm trying to kind of keep things at a dull roar until we move into the warehouse. Um, we've got enough going on with trying to get the warehouse up and running and all figured out and moved into and such that I'm, I'm trying to, all I'm doing when I bring a fish now is bringing in a few here and there just to kind of maintain. Um, I won't be doing any large imports until like specialized imports until we get in the, in the warehouse, just cause I don't have enough bandwidth in my mind to get it all done. All right. Preston, John. Hey, Preston. Good to see you. Dan, the Superman. <laughs> People need to buy all your microtenopoma and sorgii. I've been breeding them for a while and the juveniles are cute. Your photo is what they look like at their worst. I know. I, you see all these. I've seen them prettier. I haven't caught them, though. Um, okay, let's get everyone. Microtenopoma and sorgii. This is my favorite of the, micro, of the tenopoma types. And I haven't caught it yet, but they are really pretty when they, when they color in. But even when they're not colored in, like, look at that, those nice delineations. But even when they're not colored in, like ours, 
right? This is just the one. I mean, this is small. And it was the one that was posing by the glass. So it's the one we got a picture of real quick. <laughs> so you're right. We need to like get pictures of the bigger, prettier ones. But yeah, they're a great fish. Awesome little uh, leaf fish. I'm glad to hear you're breeding them. I think that's amazing. If you ever get more than you need, Preston. <laughs> Luigi is better. I know that cyanos will eat habrosis. Um, I think we're talking about Cynodonus, I'm guessing, and any other smaller catfish, but my LFS had some microcynodonus. Have you heard of them? Yes. And if you have, do you think they'll eat all my fish? They'll try to eat my fish. Um, yeah, I've had microcynodonus batesii or batesii, um, and they're, they're the same as any other fish like that. If it'll fit in their mouth, they'll eat it. The mouth size on the microcynodonus is pretty good sized. I think they might be able to eat a habrosis, Corey. Sorry. Wish I had better news for you. Don't know for sure, but the microcynodonists get, what, two and a half inches? Let's, let's, let's look here. I think two and a half inches, roughly. And they have a good-sized mouth. So Batesi is the one that's usually available. Let's just look here. Oh, let's go somewhere else. We've already done that. Let's do planet catfish instead of seriously fish. 3.9 inches. Okay. So that's uh, bigger than I thought. Um, what seriously fish say? Now I want to see if that corroborates that. 3.5 inches. Okay. So that's big enough, I think, that you get that predatory mouth right there. It's, it's a good sized mouth. Get that wide open at, you know, three and a half to four inches. I think you could have a problem. Yeah, sorry, Luigi. David, you know the answer, Luigi, is more aquariums. <laughs> Come on, Luigi, get more aquariums. Do it for world peace. David W., do you bag your quarries with straight oxygen? There was some old reports that at least one study attributed similar symptoms to O2 poisoning linked to their gulping concentrated O2. David W., I do always ship with straight oxygen, and I ship like thousands and thousands of quarries, including hundreds and hundreds of elegans, and and not had a problem. So um, now I, I can't imagine that this would be the one time on one shipment that somehow oxygen became toxic. Like we did it the same as we always do. I guess it's always a possibility, but um, no, we always ship our, all of our quarries, all of our fish, every fish that we send out with pure oxygen. Well, it's like 99 point something percent pure. Pure enough. <laughs> So I've heard that too, David, but I, I haven't seen it. And I've shipped many, many quarries. But I appreciate you offering the suggestion. I mean, it's, it's always one day someone will offer a suggestion. Maybe it'll be like, yes, of course it's that. You know, so I appreciate the effort for sure. Okay, I'm scrolling because chat did the jumpity jumps. And the next one I can see is... Chris Robertson, you should sell a congratulations certificate in case someone needs to have proof of winning a contest. Yeah, maybe. Um, that could be fun. The issue is I, they would have to tell me who they are so I could sell them the congratulations certificate. 
you know? <laughs> so it would kind of be the same thing. Um, at some point, I've got to verify who they are, whether I do it when they buy a certificate or when I send them the fish. But um, but it, it could be cool to do some specialized gift certificates and stuff. Like, I don't know, themed stuff or for special events or whatever. Um, that could be fun. Speaking of special events, I think it's pretty cool that... Uh, Stephen P. 2003 Aquatics is going to do the, uh, when is that? The Blindscape Challenge? And do an aquascape with a blindfold in to like celebrate the blind fish keeper. I, I thought that was pretty cool. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. We got a random arm. <laughs> Time to do the first giveaway. Yes, I believe it is. Thank you, random arms. So let's do that. So this giveaway is for a group of six Empire Tetras. And the winner is Outcast NTG. Outcast, you have won. You have two minutes to chime in. Let us know that you are here. And um, then we'll we'll get you one. <laughs> we'll make it official. And after that, we'll have a $100 gift certificate giveaway provided by Kelly Foreman. Thanks so much, Kelly. We appreciate you, lady. All right. Oh, good note. At Get Gills, Kelly Foreman says, I just purchased the gift card, but did not see where I could include a note. That's right. I don't I don't know if we have that. My account name. Oh, I won't say that. Well, you said it. <laughs> Please make sure the card gets forwarded to the winner. All right. So we'll have to figure that out. Kelly, I know you could send, you could transfer the gift card to the winner if we gave you their email address. I don't know if we could, but I'll talk to Random Arms about that. We'll figure it out. All right, it's been a minute and seven seconds, Outcast NTG. Cutting it close there. Got like 45 more seconds to claim it. Johnny, have you ever kept Mangrove Rivulus Cryptolebius Marmoratus? Yes, I have. So um, this is an amazing fish. This is a killie fish. When I was keeping them, I think they were still called Rivulus marmoratus, or at least most of the articles I read. So this fish is super cool. This is a, I guess you could call it a hermaphrodite, more or less. It, uh, it, it does not need a male to reproduce. So this is the fish. They aren't super colorful or anything because they're almost all females. And these females will lay eggs that are not fertilized by a male and the eggs will be clones of the females. That's how they reproduce. Now they live in these very extreme habitats. Maybe I'll find a picture of it and be able to show it to you. Every now and then conditions are just right and some males develop. And I believe what we're looking at here is above is a female and below is a male. That's what they're saying anyway. Maybe a little more orange in the male doesn't happen often, but every now and then conditions are right and you get males. Here's maybe a better... Is that really? That can't be... This is the Marmoratus here. That can't be a male and female Marmoratus. It says it is. Wow. 
if this indeed is Cryptolibius marmoratus, and it sounds like it is from Aruba, and Franz, Franz took the picture. I, I know Franz. I trust Franz. Franz is like a, a nut at Rivulus in South American annual killifish. So I, I'm guessing this is right. Um, that's a beautiful male. So looks like the males can get some color. Typically, they aren't that pretty, but geez, that one is. Um, every now and then, males are produced, and then they do reproduce sexually. And you get a little genetic diversity in the species, right? That's how the species can continue without becoming so inbred um, that it uh, it succumbs to diseases and doesn't thrive, right? Um, but yeah, they're they're amazing. They're they're found in Florida and then all down through what northern South America, I believe, and Aruba out in the islands and stuff. Really hardy fish can take a wide range of conditions. Now. I don't know if I can find it or not. Let's see if we can find some pictures of the habitats and how they live in the wild. If not, I'll just uh, describe it. It's pretty amazing how these guys live. Here it is. I think what this is showing, well, I can't be sure, but it's, it's got the fish in wood. So maybe it's showing it. Uh, I'll describe it in just a minute. Let me see if I can find it, though. Here's a habitat photo, but that's a really nice habitat for Cryptolebius marmoratus. Usually they're living in something else. Okay, so let me describe it to you. So these guys are super, super hardy. They live in pretty extreme habitats. They can take water pretty salty. Um, they can take fresh water as well. In one reason they've become hermaphroditic is because they often are, are very isolated. Like they'll, they'll just live in these tiny little puddle, puddles. There might not even be water in there. It might just be damp leaves and they'll get in there and stay damp. And as long as they're damp, they'll live. They'll also, I guess you would say burrow, swim up into crevices and driftwood and things um, and stay damp in there when the water goes away. So they, they live in these extreme conditions. And if you get a little rain and this little tiny puddle gets enough water in it, then the female will, you know, be able, the eggs will be able to hatch and you'll get another generation in there. Every now and then you get enough rain or moisture that the puddles flood and everything and, and then they can meet each other and then they can reproduce sexually. But they're so isolated in such extreme conditions that, um, you know, just I'm, the water's gone so i kind of climbed into this wood and wedged myself in this damp wood and I'm just waiting here until there's some more water right that kind of thing so it's a really interesting adaptation they've come up with to live in these very extreme conditions and the hermaphrodite thing helps them with that and then the sexual reproduction when conditions are right helps them not get too inbred it's such a cool fish yes I've kept those the New Mexico uh, New Mexico Aquatics hey little Bobby um, Sudamuga Gertrude, please discuss. Thank you. Well, <laughs> that's a wide topic. Can you narrow it down for me? Um, basically, they come from a really wide range of, of habitats um, from Papua New Guinea down through Australia. There's many different locations. Um, I don't think I'm blowing smoke on that. I haven't read their actual habitats for a while. I know some come from the Aru Islands. Um, okay. 
I want to make sure I'm not blowing smoke here. I don't think I am. Tania, uh, what's here? So I'm going to look up the pseudomugils and make sure I'm not giving you misinformation here, just because I haven't looked at them in so long. So I'm going to go to the uh, ANGFA site here. It's a great site. Gertrude, let's look at habitats and distribution. I'm pretty darn sure they come from this wide range. Yeah, yeah, there it is. So they're from all these spots here. Look at all this wide range, but I think they're also up, aren't they in the Aru Islands and up in Papua? Okay, yes. Oh, maybe not. Let's look. Now I just have to know. Happen Creek. Maybe they aren't up in Papua. I'm glad I checked. Gertrude from the Aru Islands. Are the Aru Islands Papua or is that? Hmm. Yeah, I, I'm pretty darn sure that the Aru Islands are claimed by New Guinea or by Papua and not by Australia, but I could be wrong about that. Okay, anyway, um, wide range of habitats. So they can take, oh, the link, sure. So they can uh, take a wide range of parameters. They're, they're pretty tough little fish. Um, and don't get too big, they're peaceful, they're beautiful, um, easy to spawn, a little harder to raise because the babies are small and they really like to eat their eggs and they really like to eat their babies. I like the ones from the Aru Islands quite a bit. They seem to have like more colorful margins on the fins, more, more yellows and things on the tips of the fins, which helps set them apart. Um, what else is there to discuss about them? They're, they're not one of these fish that, that it's like, oh, with those you want to do this, right? Because they come from such a wide range of habitats and they're so hardy and adaptable that there's not much to say except for that, I guess. Small, peaceful, and, and tough. Get groups, though. Don't get one or two. Get like a dozen or 24. Um, they'll, they'll play around with each other and display with each other and be a lot more, um, just more fun to watch. Wendy, I'm fixated on bubbles. Yeah, like, like that fish in the Finding Nemo in the aquarium. The bubbles, the bubbles. <laughs> I found a PDF on spillway fish kills and gas bubble disease, increased oxygen and nitrogen in the water after spillway gates, open fish had distended air bladders. Yeah, I, I mean, nitrogen is the bends, right? You get nitrogen in your bloodstream and as it gases off, you get the bends. Um, yeah. Dragon layer, wild rams are collected from very shallow lakes and ponds that that aren't after the high water recedes at the end of the rainy season, those waters heat up pretty high in the sun. Oh, sure. Sure. If the rainy season's done and you're left in one of these, you know, off the main body of water pools or whatever, um, those get really, really hot for sure. The question is during the rainy season, are they still hot or are they fine at cooler temperatures during the rainy season? 
Because if they are, it's like, well, maybe they'd be fine at lower temperatures if they're brought in right from the wild. So, you know. All right, random arms, give me a note. Finalized giveaway number two, one, yes, thank you. <laughs> this is why I need people surrounding me to put me on track. Okay, Outcast NTG is here. <laughs> I totally forgot. <laughs> what, Rams, what, Gertrude, what? Like shiny things all over distracting me. Man, I'm worse than a Chihuahua on Jolt. Okay. So congratulations, Outcast NTG. Would you please email us your first name, your last name, and your mailing address and say, hey, I'm Outcast NTG, um, and send that to hello at dancefish.com. And let's get the next giveaway going. So we're going to cancel this one. We're getting a new keyword. And this is for a gift certificate to dancefish.com provided by Kelly Foreman in the amount of 100 smackaroos. That's right, $100. So hashtag thanks Kelly will enter you to win win $100 gift certificate provided by Kelly. Thanks for doing that. That's uber generous of you, much appreciated. And it's gonna make the end of the stream super fun. All right, we have seven minutes, so let's scroll down. Oh, well, responding more to Dragon Lair, um, I'd venture to say that you know, at the end of the wet season as the dry season comes on that most fish end up in really hot water that aren't in the main body of water, right? There's your, you got off the main channel, you're cut off now and the sun's beating down on you. There's no water flow or anything. And as the water evaporates, you get hotter and hotter. And as we know, most of those eventually dehydrate and the fish die or become bird food. But so I'm curious what happens during the wet season. Um, already answered Al about getting Melanotania Macaulay. Yes, we'll get more in. Really love those. Yeah, I don't know anything Al about those tetras. Um, Bra- uh, Baron Von Yinzer. Baron, it's good to hear from you. Another update on the blind gold roseline barbs. They are still doing awesome. Folks, I cannot say enough about the awesome customer service and quality. Oh, Baron, thank you so much. Thank you so much. I'm glad they're doing well. Um, and I'm glad they have a good home. That's awesome. I mean, they really do thrive, right? I mean, with their little barbels, they can sense food and feel around and and have a pretty normal life. The only issue is it takes them longer to find the food and eat. And so if other fish are in there that eat really fast, they won't get to the food before it's gone. But besides that, yeah, I think that they can live a nice full life without any problem. Glad yours are doing good. Rachel Irwin, I want to try wild collecting. Do you have any recommendations of native fish to look for in the PNW? I'm guessing that's Pacific Northwest. What did you find when you came here to Portland? Um, okay, what you need to do, Rachel, is go to the, the Portland Aquarium Society. Is it called Greater Portland Aquarium Society? I think so. Danny Ken Aquatics can, can hook you up. And you'll find people there that go collecting and and know the area and all the fish. So um, that would be the best thing to do. Get hooked up with that club, go to a meeting, say, I want to collect some fish. Know anyone here that's collected and like lots of people there have collected and can kind of point to you. Um, What we found were some fundalists, which are some killifish species. They are not native to the area, 
but they got introduced probably in bilge water from ships and things like that. We found a lot of catfish species. Well, a lot of catfish, mostly channel cats, I think. Um, we found all kinds of crayfish um, and some other odds and ends. I wouldn't say the species diversity was super high, but it was cool. It was cool to go out there and find some stuff. Um, but connect with your local club, Rachel. They can they can direct you. They could probably offer to like go with you and show you the ropes and some cool collecting areas and things like that. Oh, and Gambusia, lots of mosquito fish. <laughs> that floats your boat. <laughs> I can't remember the entire species list, but if you go to Lawrence Kent's Facebook page, he has pictures of all the stuff we collected there. But yeah, get do yourself a favor, get hooked up with your club. Because there's a lot more stuff there that we did not get. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff there. We only went to, uh, there was one pond we tried and found a bunch of gambusia there. And then we went to a river and found the, the Achilles and other stuff. Scotty, the fish freak. Amen. I had Pseudomugil Gertrude Aru too. Yeah. Beautiful little guys. I, just when they wave their little fins and they look like cheerleaders with the pom-poms. Fricata are like that too, with those beautiful uh, fin tips. <laughs> now, Pseudomugils, it's hard to go wrong. I've never met one I didn't like. Wildcaught rams are much easier to keep. They just aren't imported much. Oh, cool. So Dragon Lair, were you able to keep them at like the mid seventies, like long-term? Um, the wildcaught rams? If so, I'd like to know that. And if so, I have a supplier for wildcaught rams. I just haven't brought them in um, because, again, I, I don't have the temperatures for rams. But if the wild ones don't need those high temperatures, I might try it. I need to kind of verify that with the collector, I guess, and say, hey, what's the temperature down there? That's what I should do. But anyway, uh, Dragon Lair, what's, what was your experience temperature-wise? Luigi, I actually set up a new fish tank in my room. It's an African biotope, and I'm not keeping Cynodonis in it this time, but some African hillstream catfish. Oh, those are so cool. I am glad you found some and were able to keep them alive. They, these are hard to find, and when you do find, it's hard to find someone who does them right and gets them to you in good shape. These are the African uh Hillstream catfish, as you can see, they're kind of the same body shape as a hillstream loach because they're adapted to torrent conditions, really fast flowing waters. Um, I love these guys. I, I think that's awesome that you have those. Those are amazing. Really hard to get. Really hard to find those. What a find. Good for you. Oh, cool. Some dude says they have Melanotania saluensis from Skull Creek. I love that one. I'm trying to breed. I've been conditioning them in a 10-gallon, so I hope to see fry when I remove the adults. I bet you will. Like, I bet they're breeding all the time in there. Well, in the morning, at least. Kelly Foreman, make sure you spell my name right when you enter. K-E-L-L-E-Y. Yes, that's right. Thanks, K-E-L-L-E-Y is how you enter. And we are going to draw that just about now. Uh, let me see real quick if, if uh, Dragon Lair responded to my question about keeping wild rams. I bred them in the late 70s, and they did fine and bred at 76 to 78. 
Dragon Lee, that's awesome to know. Paul Soltero, Bolivian Rams don't need the high temps GBRs do. Right. They do well in the mid to upper 70s. Correct. Correct. Um, I think Dragon Lear, though, was talking about uh, the German Rams, Ramirez Eye, right? Let me, let me just scroll here. I want to make sure I'm not misunderstanding something. Wildcott Rams. I think Dragon Lear is, is talking about uh, Microgeophagus Ramirez Eye, which we're calling the German Ram. Um, yeah, the Bolivian Rams, super easy. Don't need special temperature requirements. And that's why I usually keep them and don't keep the Germans. But if I can bring in uh, Ramirez Eye from the wild and they can do well at a lower temperature, I might do that. Um, now that you've turned me on to that dragon layer, I'm going to do some research and see if see if I can make that happen. That would be awesome. Okay, $100 gift certificate, one hundred. Provided by the very generous, generous Kelly, as in K-E-L-L-E-Y. Thanks again, Kelly. The winner of that is the 186 Element. The 186 Element, you have won a $100 gift certificate to Dan's Fish provided by Kelly Foreman. You have uh, two minutes to chime in. Let us know you're here. Random Arms will let me know when I forget to look again. <laughs> I'm sure. And... Um, in the meantime, I'm going to look for a couple more things to respond to here while we wait. Deb Haldi, setting up a new 75-gallon awesome size aquarium. So much you can do with that. I have two large sponge filters. Should I add an HOB filter to hang on back filter too? Moving small to medium-sized community fish and a lot of plants. Totally up to you. I have run um, well-stocked 75-gallon aquariums with a single um, sponge filter before without any problems. The, the larger size pro filter from Gemco, you know, it's about, I don't know, five and a half inches diameter, something like that, about that big, um, without any problem. You have two, so you're probably fine on, on um, beneficial bacteria, nitrifying bacteria. The nice thing about a hang on back, you might, you probably don't need it, but it, it does add some water circulation. The sponge filters kind of bubble straight up, right? And that hang on back will kind of flow the water out at a bit of a diagonal, which, which can be kind of nice. So if you want more flow, which your, your plants might appreciate some more current, says the guy that knows nothing about plants, but, um, you know, you won't get as much debris settling on the leaves and as much algae getting attached and things like that. So more flow could really help since you say you're putting lots of plants in there. So it might not hurt just to have some flow for your plants. All right, let's see if, yep, the 186 element responded. Congratulations. Please send an email to hello, H-E-L-L-O, at dancefish.com. Um, and let us know your winner of the, the winner of the $100 gift certificate. And we will get that to you and we'll figure out how with our new system. Um, I don't know if we'll be able to send it to you or if Kelly will need to transfer it or what, but we'll figure that out without any problems because Random Arms is on it. All right, that's the end of the stream. Thanks, everybody. Oh, did I not? See? Nah, just to verify. <laughs> Thanks, everyone, for being here. Appreciate you participating. Everyone, um, to the mods, thank you for modding. <laughs> we really appreciate the moderators. Folks that threw money at us, thanks for the super chats. 
always appreciated, never required, but it does make my wife super happy when money falls out of the computer screen. Everyone that left a question or comment, thanks for participating and making this lively. We appreciate you here chatting with us. Hail the Lurker Nation. If you're watching on the replay, hello. Hello from the future or the past. Yeah, could go both ways on that. And if you're listening on the podcast, thanks for listening. And thanks to Michael Mellier for making the podcast possible. And I do want to also, um, I want to point you guys to one last thing before we leave. Okay. The newsletter. This is one of the best articles we've had. We've had some really good articles. Um, on the Trout Goodyear, Elite Unfersidens, Andrew Fazbender wrote an amazing article. So I just want to take a moment to thank Andrew for this. If you haven't seen it, just go to Dance Fish, click on previous newsletters, and click on the Trout Goodyear article, and you'll be able to read it all. It's it's one of it's just a great article. Um, so thanks again to Andrew for providing that. And if you missed it, it's worth a gander. All right, I'm signing off now. I'll be back next week, same bat time, same bat channel. Until then, I hope you have a good one. Thanks. Bye-bye.